Hello and welcome to this podcast with Pastor Tony Paolo, recorded live at Restoration Church of Rhode Island. Enjoy today's message. John chapter 1. I, I've really been um, just dialoguing with the Lord and talking to the Lord about, and, and as a church, we've always had an emphasis on rescuing and helping people that are broken and walking through a process, right? And, uh, and I know we have several counselors in the house. And then last week with Pastor Mike Caparelli talking about the topic of overcoming trauma. Um, I, I've been just really talking to the Lord about this topic. And I wanted to bring to you, using a character of the Bible, one of Jesus' disciples, the very own Peter, um, to get a glimpse into how heaven looks at brokenness to get a glimpse at how Jesus looks at our brokenness. And I'm thankful. It's always a process. In, we're always in process, right? Philippians 1, 6, uh, Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will continue, is faithful, and will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we're always a work in progress. So I, I'm like, Lord, I want to always have a balance between, I, I want to be a good manager of truth. I don't want to be an extremist. And, and so the way I see this story, it's that like God wants, we acknowledge our brokenness, but we don't claim it. This is important because we have too many people building equity in their brokenness, and then you get broken results. Okay? We acknowledge that we're a work in progress, and, and we're working through stuff every day until Jesus comes back. Right? So we don't claim our brokenness. We claim covenant. We claim the power of the cross. So I want to make sure that we understand. I mean, one of our, our leaders just Friday sent me a text message and says, hey, I'm, I want to start a group on overcoming um, um, hard past and trauma. And I trust this person. She's a counselor. I said, perfect, done. Because what happens is if we don't acknowledge sickness, then we're not going to get healed. Right? If we don't, uh, we love the light because because we've been in, in darkness at one time. Right? We love healing because at one time we were in pain. We love uh, being aligned with the spirit because at one time we were fragmented. So this is when I look at this story with with Peter. I think it's a really good example of how Jesus views our brokenness. And we're gonna we often compartmentalize in in order to get by. We, we're always compartmentalizing. Okay, let's put this over here. This is too painful. This is too hard. There's a, there's a healthy compartmentalization that we should do. If you're on your way to church and you have a fight with your, your spouse, you come into church, you compartmentalize. You say, right, let's put that aside and we'll deal with that later, right? We don't come into church going, <laughs> right, Richard? It's like, what happened? I just had a fight with my wife. We compartmentalize that and leave that in the car and we come to church to worship. So there's healthy compartmentalization. But the compartmentalization that we often do is we try to pretend. Pretending that there's no sin or issue doesn't mean that it's going to be healed. You acknowledge it so that it can be healed. So we're looking at the life and the story of Peter. And in so many ways, there's so many so, there's so many things that I see similar and familiar in the life and the process of Peter and how Jesus interacts with him. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 40. And it reads this, just like this. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. 
okay? Who is Peter, right? Before Peter was Peter, Peter was Simon. So the first thing Andrew did in verse 41 did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, Simon, and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. You are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, Peter. In so many ways, um, the life of Peter is so familiar. He, he stumbled, he lost his temper, he denied Jesus. I mean, and then he swore when he denied Jesus, but yet the call of God was placed on his life to follow Jesus. To me, it's just, just, when I look at, when you really study the men and the women of the Old Testament, New Testament, it makes you, I'm like, man, I feel kind of good of my relationship with God. Because the kind of people that God picked, he didn't wait for them to get right. He pointed them and he called them out. And for, for a man, for Peter, a man who displayed such weakness, was flawed, was very sinful, he was seen as Jesus' closest confidant. I mean, he was Jesus' best friend. He was, Jesus was, had to 12, he was close to three, but really close to Peter. And Peter was the main character when we see Peter. He was, besides Jesus, he was the main character throughout the book of Acts. And when, when we look at the power of the gospel, we see the power of the gospel so consistent in the sense the power of the gospel is this. Jesus pursues you in the midst of your brokenness. And God's riskiest move really is God entrusting you with the work of the ministry. That's God's riskiest move. I mean, he, he could have done it any other way, but he chooses to use us. And we often compartmentalize to get by. But Jesus sees us as whole so that we can overcome. So he doesn't wait for you to get right. And then include you. He includes you. And in the process of being equipped. And following God's call on your life. You get right with God. In the narrative of Peter. Jesus paints a portrait. That is in direct contradiction. To the narrative that we have spoken in our lives. In the narrative we often speak in our lives. is like okay I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to move to the next level. But let me take a step back. Because I'm going to get right with him first. Okay, let me, let, me, let, me, let me clean my, okay, I'm going to clean my act up. I'm going to make sure my clothes are pressed. I'm, I'm going to make sure, uh, I, I'm going to look my best, do my best, and I'm going to be at my best. And then Jesus is going to accept me. That's not how, Je- that's not how we t- see the story with Peter. I mean, if Jesus, I love this, but in, in verse 42, it says, Jesus looks at him. And the word look in the original Greek is that he looked right through him. That word in the Greek is like x-ray vision. He looked right into his heart. Now, there are certain people, once you get to know them, you're like, I'm all set, thanks. Jesus looked right into his heart. That beaming, glaring, like I know all about you. And yet I want you to my team. Like, if you were hanging out with Jesus and Jesus was picking the 12, you'd probably say, no, 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 don't pick Judas. <laughs> now, Peter, oh, man, I mean, he's going to come through at the end, but I'm, I'm just going to give you a heads up. 
You know what I'm saying? Put them on probation leadership. You know, there's different levels of leadership. Uh, we'll, we'll, six months to see how you do. And, so, and, and, and he picks Thomas. I'm like, oh, Thomas is not going to believe anything about you. And poor Thomas, we, we, we give him the title Doubting Thomas. The guy in heaven's like, what? What's going on here? Like, why did he? I, he says, I rebuke. I cancel that title. I mean, if I were with Jesus, I'd be saying, I don't know about him. I mean, you know, when the time comes and when you're in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, you're going to look to pray and they're all going to be asleep. I just want to give you a heads up. The Bible says Jesus looked. He looked right into Simon, right into Peter. See, this, this is the whole mantra of the gospel. The mantra of the gospel is that the cross is valued above any other power. Any other good, good news. It's good news. It's only good news that the people receive it and reach, and, and it reached, right? And so the whole aspect of the power of the gospel is that we, we experience wholeness in our process of obedience. So he looks at the Peter. He looks at Simon, actually, because Jesus is the one who comes to change his name. He says, you're Simon, but I'm, we're going to start calling you Peter which we learned later on means stone, means rock. But it's interesting here that Peter didn't go through anything. Usually when we, when we hear of God changing the name from Abram to Abraham to Sarah to Sarai to Saul to Paul, usually there's a trial, usually there's a valley, usually there's something that you walk through. He meets Simon for the first time and he says, you're Peter. Because he doesn't look at you. See, this is brokenness. He doesn't look at you like you look at you. He doesn't look at you as you are. He looks at you as what you will become or who you will become. That's the power of the gospel. We look at ourselves as, yep, we're, I mean, we might be walking through our brokenness, but one thing you're not is you're not broken. One thing you're not is that you're not broken. And when we look at the people that God has picked in the Bible, Abraham, I mean Moses, Rahab, David, all these broken people, we're included in that. And how in the world do we get to this? You don't have the luxury of disqualifying yourself based on what you feel is, are, are, are non, are, you're not qualified. But the more you try to disqualify yourself, the more you're qualified. See, Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's the cross, perfect. I'll choose you exactly the way you are. Are. And the thing is that there's this approach that we take to God. Because Peter, Simon, Jesus looks at Simon. And it's the same word when, when Peter denies Jesus in the garden three times. The Bible says that Jesus looked at Simon Peter and gave that glare right into his soul. And so this is how, how it is that we built these compartments. And we are so entrenched in our, okay, I want to get close to God but man, I feel so ashamed. I feel so guilty. I feel so down. Which is why a lot of times, I don't know if you notice, a lot of people that you're mentoring just skip church. Because church reminds them of the presence of God. And I feel so dirty, the last thing I want to be is in the presence of God. But he says, come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy in your time of need. Come boldly before the throne of grace. And there is an approach that says, I'll get as close to God depending how, on how I feel about myself. I'm, I don't really have a good week, so I'm going to skip church. Because I want to stay far from God. But the thing is that Jesus knows everything about you. 
This is what David says in Psalm 139. He says, it overwhelmed, he knows everything about me and my heart is overwhelmed. He knows everything about you and he chose you. There are times where I wouldn't choose me. There are times where I wouldn't choose you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's... But Jesus chose you and he chose me. We are in... We, we must make sure that you are not entrenched in your process of brokenness. This is what Romans 5.8 says. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners. In the Greek says, literally, while you were in the act of sinning, Christ died for you. He didn't wait for you. He didn't say, I'll wait for them to get their act together and then die on the cross. I'll wait for them, I'll wait for them to do right and then I'll do right. He said, no, I'll do right while they're doing wrong. While we were in the act of sinning, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us. He died for us. He looks right through you, knows you better than you know yourself. And he says, I want you on my team. Now Jesus changes his name. He says, you are Simon, but you will be called Peter. And I look at the symbolism of the name change. And the symbolism of the name change is the reality of a, a changed nature, uh, of, a, of a new identity. We are a new creature in Christ. And the new name was a way to let them in on the divine plan. So God is saying, I want to let you in and on the plan that I have to, uh, to mankind, and I want you to be a part of it. He didn't wait on you to get your act together to let you in on his divine plan. He let you in on his divine plan. And by saying, yes, Lord, you're able to say, I am healed, I am whole, and I am delivered. And the work continues until the day of Jesus Christ. So Jesus looks at Peter. Jesus looks intently into his soul. Completely knew everything about him. And yet he picks him be on his team and so which reminds me now i was just thinking about what's the main what's the main aspect of the life of jesus mission what's the main aspect of your life mission the mission is always more important than your status and so the, the people that jesus picked was all part of the mission that's why he picked judas somebody had to betray him that's why he picked Peter. So, some, somebody had to preach the gospel in the book of Acts. For the three times he denied Jesus, and for the three times he denied Jesus, he got a thousand people to repent and come to the church. He did pretty good at the end there. But Jesus, again, doesn't see you for what you'll become. He sees the potential in you. And you know what releases that potential, potent power, is when you begin to walk in the grace of God, when you begin to walk in his love, when you begin to work in his characteristics. So Jesus looks right into you, and there's nothing he doesn't know about you. He knows your deepest secrets, your deepest fears, your deepest insecurities, your deepest sins, your deepest faults. And he says, I want you on my team. 
you and I, we disqualify ourselves from, from brokenness. Jesus qualifies our, uh, us from brokenness. There, at the cross, didn't he say, it is finished. So my walk is based on the work. And the work is completed. So if I'm walking with the perception that the work is not completed, I'm going to walk in shame and claim my brokenness and put a stake in my brokenness instead of putting a stake in covenant. So I'm walking in a work that's completed. And now based on that, I know it's not about me. So if I, if I question, well, I have low self-esteem, I'm, I'm doubting, then what's happening is I'm disregarding the power of the cross in my life. And so now every time Jesus looks at me, I want to run. But Jesus looks at you, and if we don't understand the power of grace, we'll walk in shame. If we understand the power of grace, we'll walk towards the Lord. He looked right into Simon Peter's heart, where he was, and what he would become. He loves you right where you're at, and he sees you, what and who you will become. But when, we, when he looks at us, apart from grace, he sees a mess. <laughs> you ever feel like even now serving the Lord, I feel like, man, I feel like my brain's a mess. I feel like I'm all over the place. Every once in a while, maybe? No? One, no, just me? Yeah. Okay. One, thank you. It just happens. Man, I'm just, I, Lord, I, thank you. for God, Thank you. You're the only one that understands me. Thank you for your grace. And I feel like the pressure of responsibility to change the entire moment in, in, a, in a glimpse of an eye is taken off of me. Because I'm like, Jesus said it's finished. What am I doing? What kind of projects are you taking on? Self-improvement, right? You go to Barnes & Noble. There's a whole section. Self-help. Ten ways. Ten things. Fifteen steps. Three steps. Jesus said it's one step, it's the cross and the work of Jesus Christ, and it is finished. It's done. Like, what do we turn? We're on this treadmill of life going nowhere really fast. And when he looks at us, apart from grace, we're a mess. But with grace, we have the Messiah. So, first thing he says, which is kind of strange, he says, You're Simon. Because remember, Andrew's the one that found Simon and said, hey, Simon, come over here. The Messiah is, is here. Because remember, Peter walked through the ministry of John the Baptist. We read it in our passage here. He walked through this, the ministry of John the Baptist before he met Jesus. So Andrew says, hey, Peter, I want you, Simon, I want you to introduce you to somebody. And Jesus goes, you're Simon. But I'm going to start calling you Peter. Why? Well, because the new nature is necessary in order to understand his divine plan for your life. See, maybe you're trying to jump into God's divine plan under the old nature. And you're trying to understand God's plan for your life. Um, oh, I'm broken. I'm such a terrible person. I'm such a terrible creature. And understand the transition that, Jesus, that Paul makes in Romans chapter 7. He says, every time I want to do something good, I do something bad. And when I don't want to do something bad, I can't do something good. I'm such a wretched person. Who's going to save me from this body of sin? And then he transitions to Romans 8. He says, thank God there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So without Jesus, we're a terrible, rotten, evil, dirty person. But with Jesus, we transition there is therefore now no condemnation and God treats you according to your new nature that's how he treats you why would we treat ourselves any less well my counselor says I have low self esteem and I doubt myself a lot oh come on stop I believe
believe in labeling, but I believe in labeling what God has spoken over you already. You're an awesome spirit being a magnificent word. So if a counselor said, you know, the only reason why the counselor labeled you is so they can get paid. Believe me, when, when, I was in, when I was in Ohio, I, I would do the two to three hour intake as a professional clinical counselor. After three hour intake, Carol, I had to diagnose them on the spot so that I can get paid through the insurance company. Yep, this is who you are. And it'll follow you for the rest of your life. Boom. And they would sign it, I get paid, and then they get help. But Jesus, Jesus says, all right, Peter, I'm going to pick you. First thing that has to happen, this Simon stuff has got to go. It's got, it's got, it's got to go. You're Peter, because based on the confession of your faith later on, I'm going to build the church. Can't build it on Simon. I'm going to build it on the confession of your faith as Peter. God sees you. God sees me. Thank you. He sees you according to your new nature. Well, Pastor, I'm not ready to do that because I still got, I, I, I still have to, I'm still not ready yet. Listen, if we're going to actually wait for you to be ready, it'll never happen. If we're going to wait for Simon, we'll wait forever. And it took Jesus three and a half years. And even after three and a half years, it took Jesus to be God for Peter to say, nobody's stepping up on the plate. I better step up uh, and, and preach the gospel now. Pulled up a chair and says, this is what you heard about. My forefathers. This is what you, and it took Jesus. And when Jesus left, he goes, I'm going now, and you're going to do better things than I did. And just, I was like, What? What's, what the heck is going on? Why are you leaving us? Like, why are you doing this? Jesus, I got to go. I got I to gotta bounce. I got stuff to do now. Jesus sees you. Like, why do you doubt yourself? I think because you, you've planted too many seeds in the garden of brokenness instead of invent, investing. In the Garden of Covenant. And, and to show you proof that Jesus lingered in his brokenness, even after following Jesus, as a disciple, we read in Matthew 16, 23, Jesus turns to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. That's a bad, if Satan, if Jesus calls you Satan, that's a bad day. I was like, man, I got some work to do. What happened? Jesus just called me Satan. Oh, snap. Why would he call him Satan? Because you didn't have the mind of God. You had the mind of man. To prove to you that Peter was still a mess, Jesus calls him the devil. And Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, I ain't doing that. Yes, you are. Yes, sir. To prove I'm stuck on the notion that God includes me. I'm just stuck on this which is his riskiest move, is to include man and include women at the very beginning. See, Peter would have been kicked out of the Garden of Eden like Adam and Eve was. You messed up, you got to get out. I'm going to banish you to come up with a plan to redeem you. Because I got to banish you. If I don't banish you, I'm going to kill you right on the spot. So just leave my side. I'm going to come up with a plan and, and I'll redeem you. Now, Peter in the Garden of Eden certainly would have been banished. But Jesus said, no, that's why the cross is there for you. That's the power of grace. It dep- grace is this incredible heavenly party that you're invited to that you don't deserve to be at. 
And he's still waiting for your RSVP. I'm just waiting for the right moment. I'm just, uh, there's areas of my life. And, I mean, if Peter, I mean, think about the very first time that Jesus called Peter. Luke chapter 5, verse 8. So, so Jesus calls Peter, but he says, hey, I want you to throw your net out to the other side. In the midst of failure, Jesus tells Peter, throw your net out to the other side. He says, we've been fishing all night. But Jesus will come to you at your greatest failure, and if we obey him, we'll experience our greatest miracle. So he says, all right, I'll do it. He, he catches this incredible catch. His net starts to break. And then when Simon Peter sees this, he, foil, he falls at Jesus' knees. He falls at his, his feet, knees, and says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Another version says, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner. He falls to his knees. Did he fall to his knees in worship? No. He fell to his knees because he felt so dirty inside. I wonder how many times we fall to our knees because we feel dirty versus falling to our knees to to worship. I I guess when you come to the Lord for the first time, you fall on your knees because you feel the weight of your sin. But when God forgives you and when God releases his grace on your life, it should transition to worship. It must transition to worship. And so Jesus filled Peter's nets before Peter began following Jesus. Imagine what he can do in your life after you begin following Jesus. Thank God it's not up to you. If Jesus were to wait on you, if Jesus were to wait on me, if Jesus were to wait on Peter. So, so if I know, now Jesus is, has this, the biggest plan that's going to impact mankind. And I would pick, I wouldn't pick Peter. I mean, Peter would not make our leadership. <laughs> we have leadership standards. Judas wouldn't make. But the thing is here is not, mission is more important than status. Mission was the cross. He says, I got to get somebody, I got to get a greedy person who's going to kiss me in the garden to identify me so I can go to the cross. Judas, you're on the team. Why? Mission is more important than your status, than your identity, than your role. And, And the first thing interesting here that Simon says, he says, I'm a sinner. Let's not forget when we read the passage that they followed John, okay? Let's not forget that Peter began following John the Baptist first. And so that relationship that made Peter gravely aware of his sin was following John. John's message was, repent, you're a sinner. And so he said, repent, you're a sinner. One day there's going to come a Savior. But right now you're a sinner. Imagine living in that mode as, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Somebody pointing you saying, you're a sinner. But one day, there'll be a Messiah. But not yet, but you're a sinner. So Peter was in this mode where he was completely acquainted with his sin. He was completely acquainted with his brokenness. He was completely acquainted with his mess. And his life wasn't changed until the Messiah came. And when the Messiah came, he says, 
You are called Simon, but I'm going to change your nature right now. All you have to do is leave everything and follow me. So now Peter, who goes from leave me, and Peter was actually asking for something, desperately asking for something that he hoped never would happen. And that was that Jesus would just leave his presence. How many times have we said, God, I just can't tell How many times have we said or prayed something that we hope Jesus doesn't respond to? Peter says, leave me. But instead he begins to follow Jesus. Leave me, but I want to follow you. You know what that is? That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God on your life. And if we are not looking, we are going to miss Jesus looking. So he falls down. He says, depart from me. And Lord, Lord, please forgive me. And this is where we often get stuck in our own process. I can't. I want grace. But I feel guilty. I want grace, but I feel ashamed. Am I talking to somebody? I I want grace, but man, I feel like God is, I I feel I messed up again. Pastor Tony, Pastor, I just want to, I messed up again. But the Bible says every morning his mercy is made new. Like as soon as, when you wake up your eyes, God, God never sleeps or slumber. When you wake up your eyes, Jesus is right there. Isn't that creepy? Jesus is right there. New dispensation of mercy. A new arsenal of understanding of grace on your life. As soon as you wake up. So, you got the power of shame and guilt and the power of brokenness versus the power of the cross. And after all is said and done, just when Jesus is going to go to, on the cross, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. At that point in time, Jesus said, you are so valuable, I still want you on my team. Because I'm going to need somebody to step up to the plate and to preach on the day of Pentecost. And at the Lord's, at the, at, the, at the Last Supper, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And, and nobody said, no, it's not me. They didn't say, it's not me, it's not me. They all said, is it me? Because maybe they felt like there was a little bit of a Judas in them. So as Jesus dipped that Italian bread in the olive oil with garlic and, 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 and pepper, Judas dipped the bread in there and says, oh, the guy who's dipping the bread in there with me is going to betray me. Jesus is like, whoop. We always have this sense of, is it, it we never say, it's, nope, not, it's not me. It's always, is it me? Because we acknowledge our brokenness. We don't claim it. We claim the promises of God. We claim co- covenant. So you know how Jesus views brokenness? Not like we do. You know what he says? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I want you to experience covenant with me. I want you to experience the power of grace, which is designed to heal the curse from your life. You know, when we stake our claims in brokenness, we elevate the curse. We, we constantly find ourselves kicked out of the Garden of Eden. 
Got kicked out again. Hey, how you doing? I was able to stay in there for a whole day. And I did something wrong, and Jesus kicked me out of the Garden of Eden. That's how mentality works. Works. Oh, I've been good. I had a good week. I only get, got, got kicked out of the Garden of Eden one time. Works. 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 But Jesus continues to strive with us. Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that the work, the good work that has begun in me, will continue until the day of Jesus Christ. So, all this brokenness in my life, but I claim covenant. I claim growth. I claim that Jesus is with me. I, you, know, you know what? You want to label me? Label me as a son of God that's in progress and in process. Who will report, who, whose report will I believe? I'm going to re- believe the report of the Lord. So the whole process of the, the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, the Lord's Table, this is the meal that we partake in together as a body to acknowledge God's grace in my life. Some brokenness is wholeness. Guess what? I acknowledge God and I want to elevate His work in my life. When I elevate God's work in my life, it prevents me from allowing the devil to steal, kill, and destroy me. You are an awesome spirit being of magnificent worth, created in the image of God. I shared this story several months ago. My daughter, her daughter, Samantha, I think she was in kindergarten at the time. Um, she, you know, they, they, they would uh, always send a list of supplies, right? You have to send them a list of supplies. I'm like, my gosh, man, this is costing us a lot of money. <laughs> every month, every month, we would get a new, a note. Please send in a new box of crayons. And I'm like, what is going on here? What are they doing with their crayons? And so I said, I'm going to go into the teacher and talk to her during the parent-teacher. Uh, so she's been doing fine, but I want to know about why do we have to spend so much money on crayons? And it's got Crayola. It's got to be Crayola, which I like Crayola. The other crayons are kind of cheap. So I asked the teacher, why are we buying crayons every month? She goes, um, well, because the crayons keep breaking. And I read this book. And I referred to the title of this book, and I said, you know, broken crayons still color. Stop glorifying Simon. You know when we acknowledge Simon? We acknowledge Simon when we give our testimony. This is how I used to be. Paul says, those things that are behind, I forget those things. I don't forget them erasing from my mind. I I give it less equity. I give it less influence on my life. Because the past is what gives you a powerful future. When I say your future is bright, the frame of reference is where we came from. So it says, yes, I'm too much of a sinner to be around you, Lord, but I accept your grace and I accept the power of the cross and I'm ready to do what you called me to do. I don't feel ready, but yes, Lord to your will and to your way. And this is the Lord's table. This is the Lord's table. If you do not have, if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to make sure that you're ready to be able to, when the time comes, when Jesus comes back and he raptures the church, I want to make sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ before we come to the table. I want to make sure.
I want to lead you to Jesus. This is the moment as a pastor. I've been doing this for 27 years. I still get choked up when I lead someone to the Lord. And Nikki, you know that. It never gets old. Never. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you would say, just say this prayer, we're going to have some of our friends to help you. Say this prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the work. I give my life to you. Clean my heart and my mind. I want to live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Tony Paolo is the lead pastor of Restoration Church. If you would like more information, go to restorationchurchri.com.